Hi, this is Andrea Borcia. And I'm Charles Wilchin. This is Far Stuff. The Internet of Things podcast. This week on Far Stuff, we talk to... Philip Desatels. I'm the director of the All Seen Alliance, and I head up Internet of Things at the Linux Foundation. How long have you been with the Linux Foundation? For about six months now. Have you been involved in the group? It was really interesting. I was uh, working at LogMeIn on an IoT product called Zively, chief technology officer there, and uh, helped bring Zively to the world. And uh, as we were getting into the production side of things, Jim Zemlin from the Linux Foundation reached out to me and said that uh, he had a problem he needed some help with, which was helping the All-Scene Alliance really take off and bring forward this open protocol for the Internet of Things. And AllJoin is the protocol name itself, right? AllJoin is the protocol name. All-Scene Alliance is the not-for-profit organization that represents the members, 170 members that together are building AllJoin, the open source project and the protocol. Did you know about AllJoin when you were working on Zively? I did, and I'll put it in two different ways because it's interesting. I knew about AllJoin because there was really a big splash in the market. 20-something companies came together, including Qualcomm and some really big other names to launch the alliance. And so I was watching it because I had technical responsibility for that from a LogMeIn perspective. But on the other side, the problem that the alliance was trying to solve was something I was dealing with every day. Every day we would talk with customers who were trying to build products and they were building products that wanted to be connected and wanted to be internet of things. And I say that with quotes in the air, but those products were really internet of thing, a a product that was (laughs) connected to its service and its app. And maybe if you wanted, you could take that product and through an API and a cloud, connect it to another API and another cloud so that two products could talk to each other. And as somebody on the ground every day, the thing that the Alliance was trying to tackle was the thing I was dealing with over and over again, which was people building products that were connected, but they were only connected in their world and not connected to the world. So the problem the Alliance is trying to solve was a problem that every company was running up into as soon as it got its online strategy going. From its fruition uh, initially in 2013 to now, how has it evolved and how has the Alliance really kind of, I mean, I'm sure it started as, as a certain idea and objective to achieve. And since then, how, how have you seen it evolve? Yeah, and maybe I'd say, you know, an audacious objective to achieve. <laughs> it's kind of, kind of saying, hey, we're going to put a bunch of people together and we're going to create some open source software that is going to solve Again, dubious quotes in the air for a second. Uh-huh. That's going to solve the Internet of Things problem, or at least one of them. And that's an audacious goal. Members got together, got to work. And in the first year of the Alliance, there were three major releases of all join. Building on what was already there, it started out as an open source project that had been created by Qualcomm. But with the input of the, the wider membership that came on board at launch and then continued to grow, the all join software stack and the Algerian protocol took three major advances back to back in 2014, which really propelled it forward. It went from a protocol to a stronger protocol to a stronger protocol with wide adoption to a protocol in lots of products now. And if you look forward in the not too distant future with the impending release of Windows, 
we're already in tens of millions of products today, tens of millions of things in the real world that people have bought have all joined in them. That's impressive. But we're rapidly coming up with the Windows 10 launch where all join will be in every Windows 10 product to approaching billions of things, which is just insane. So from launch to the end of year one, three major releases and hitting 100 members since then. So that's kind of Christmas time last year till now, an additional 70 members, another release with an additional release planned for August and a continued onslaught of just great products coming into the market. The fun part is when you start to get those products and you put them down and they work together in interesting ways that you never imagined. That's a lovely, audacious goal. I want (laughs) that to happen. And if I'm a family that's kind of already started adopting uh, smart devices through, say, Google's Nest products, or people are, of course, interested in HomeKit. If I'm in one of those ecosystems, what is that relationship to all join? And is there hope for some detente when it comes to giving me one way to control all of my things? I'm going to actually change the last part of your sentence, if it's okay with you. Sure. It's not one way to control all of your things so much as one way for all of your things to talk to each other. And I think that's an important start here in that it's a protocol for communication. It's a way for things to talk. I actually think there are going to be lots of ways for us to control things. When I turn on a light switch, I'm controlling the light bulb or light bulbs attached to it. When I take out an app and turn on you know, some connected product, I'm using that app to control it and so on. So you know, there, there are lots of ways to control, and those depend on the interface you want and the capabilities you want. But the communication protocol is the important part. So now I'll come to the first part of your question, which is, look, we don't have CompuServe and Prodigy and Minitel and insert your favorite Owl Guide and HyperCard and all kinds of <laughs> other hypermedia systems today. We have the web. Right. Thankfully, we had Tim built his genius, but more importantly, his foresight to drive the world towards one way of doing hypermedia so that we would have the web. And we only have one email system today, but we used to have a world with lots of email systems in it and bridges. And if you were on CompuServe and you wanted to send a message to Prodigy, you had to use a proprietary service that moved the message from one system to the other. And if you had Novell networking and you had a message in Novell and you wanted to get it to the internet, that required a proprietary bridge and so on. And yet today we just send messages, someone at something.com, boom, and the message appears half a second later. And if it doesn't appear half a second later, but appears a second later, we're irritated. <laughs> I love the analogy to a pretty large degree, but there's one part. I don't know how to, how to bridge, yeah. so to speak. Like, <laughs> uh, so we have HTTP and, and of course we have tons of websites and those websites can all talk to the same clients and, and those clients can you know, potentially be anything because, mm-hmm. because of course the renderer could even be something like a speech renderer and so on and so forth. But you're doing something more ambitious yet, which is you're trying to get Amazon to talk to you know, Yahoo or something. You're trying to capture not only sort of plumbing level things as far as being able to deliver content, you're trying to come up with sort of a unified theory of intent and a unified theory of objects doing things? An amazingly good question. From the early days of Tim's vision of the web, he always described something that he calls the semantic web. In one way or another, he's talked about it for as long as he's talked about the web. Yes. 
which is your idea of Amazon being able to talk to my bank, being able to talk to the UPS truck and our UPS service and all of that magically working together in an ad hoc way, as opposed to a very bespoke way, which is what we have now. Exactly. Mia culpa. I was involved in helping to screw that up somewhere a while ago with something called web services. And how so, how do you believe that you're responsible at least in little part for this? I was one of the people deeply involved in the early soap days. And oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> that, that must have been, a, oh boy, I can't imagine those meetings. Uh, no, they were great meetings and they were full of hope, a lot like this. Yeah. And what we refused to do as a community then was to say that there's some semantic context that's necessary and a way for things to describe themselves that didn't require you to go all the way back to, you know, kind of quantum mechanics and build your way up from there to atoms, to things, to descriptions and just craziness. Yeah. So the vision of the semantic web where things can discover and talk to each other is a really, it's an honorable and really big lofty vision. It's tough on the web because there's lots and lots of possibilities there. In the real world, it turns out there's actually not that much stuff. When you think about it, the number of things, the number of profiles of things in the real world is actually fairly contained. I'm not saying it's an easy problem, but it's a less difficult problem than all of the possibilities of web transactions. And that you can describe pretty much all of the appliances or all of the lighting products pretty easily in a common semantic way. And when you do that, you get a profile or a service framework, as we call it, an all join. And once you have a service framework, then anybody with a lighting product can describe that lighting product using the service framework, and they can extend it if they need to, if their light supports crazy disco mode or something. Uh They can add that extension in. But if I look at two lights from two different manufacturers, bought at two different times, and they both speak the same semantic model, they both speak the same lighting service framework or lighting profile, then... I can say, hey, tell me about yourself, and I understand what they're saying when they talk to me. They're not speaking to me in Latin. They're speaking to me in English, and I understand it. So that part of it is a big, audacious goal. But the number of physical things that are going to be interactive and the way we can describe them means that, you know, I think at the first level, we can draw some pretty good boxes around the 80% of things that we need to describe. And then at the second level, we can create mechanisms, and all join has this where if you don't know what something is and you don't know its service framework, at least it can tell you what it can do. And it can do that in a way that a human being can understand. That makes it easier for me to interrogate something and say, tell me about you and have it tell me about it. And then I can make some decisions on what I know about it. So essentially every physical product we have has certain limitations. So light can either be on, off, dimmed, but those are pretty much the three arenas. And because of that, you can group every physical product in a more simple way that can then be tapped into the all join network. Is that right? Yeah. And if you take a community of people who are real experts in an area, say home appliances or lighting, and you sit them down and get them all talking about what the essence of their products are, it doesn't take them long to converge on how to describe, you know, all of the appliances in a house or what a lighting product is in a way that is generalized so that anybody who wants to talk to an appliance, if it speaks that common framework, can understand what it is inside temperature, outside temperature, inside humidity, outside humidity, you know, is the thing leaking? Is it on? Is it off? Those are just parameters. And once you understand them, you don't have to make up 
the understanding, you can start with semantic knowledge. You can start with understanding what those things mean in the context of an appliance or a light or a vehicle or a house. And when you get more complicated and when you start getting into like the industrial internet and much more complex machinery, does it break it down into each individual piece of a larger mechanism that which is a part of a larger production line, which is part of a larger ecosystem. Is that kind of the long term goal in the more complex arena outside of home appliances? Absolutely. You know, I is that saying big fleas have little fleas on their backs to bite them. Little fleas have lesser <laughs> fleas and on ad infinitum. <laughs> <laughs> the appliance folks are starting from what are the things in our appliances? What are the things we care about? What are the events and actions that an appliance can do? And then they're adding those together, they're creating what they call primitives, right? The elements and then putting them together to allow you to combine those into units and combine those units into things that are actually appliances. You know, a refrigerator may have an ice maker and a water dispenser and a refrigerator and a freezer all in one unit. And so that's four things. And each of those things has similar things in it. And in that way, that's not very much different than talking about a production machine or an assembly line or a trailer truck or a train. You can just draw that analogy. And once you have the framework to be able to do those descriptions, then it becomes much easier to get there. Let's say you have things that have all join in them. Is it still a need to be a deliberate connection you make with the thing itself? Or is it once you have enough things on the network, if a thing has a certain purpose or an ecosystem is created that has a purpose, does it then go on its own independently, find the appropriate things it needs to connect with and communicate with and essentially create its own bridges without human interaction. That's a matter of things in your comfortableness with our robotic overlords running the world. Right. (laughs) (laughs) But let's make that more tangible. I could have a light switch and I could have a light bulb, both with all join in them. And I could tell the light switch that this is the light bulb it controls and set that connection up. And after I'm done, when I push the light switch on, the light bulb goes on. And when I push the light switch off, the light bulb goes off. Alternately, I could put a little bit smarter software on that light switch and tell the light switch where it is, hey, you're in the living room, and tell it, I just want you to control lights in the living room. See the master on-off switch for the living room. And then every time I add a light into my house, I tell that light where it is. And so all of the lights that are in the living room have a location of living room. And now that switch can just go out and say, Hey, who are all the lights in the living room? I can now turn you on and off. In that way, we're starting to head towards your path of things that get smarter and smarter. Yeah. And so then it's just a matter as uh, Brad Feld says, right? It's just a matter of software wrapped in plastic right. <laughs> to really decide how smart and I'll put my little dubious quotes up again. You know, how smart (laughs) you want things. Yeah. A smoke alarm with a motion detector in it is a really useful smoke alarm. If I were to download an app that was a security system app, and that app looked through my house and said, gee, I see five motion detectors and I know where they are. I'm going to add them into your security system. Mm -hmm. That's a pretty useful capability that all of a sudden takes something that I bought for one purpose and makes it something else. And it allows me to compose or to, you know, create from the things I have in new and interesting ways. So from a consumer perspective, it would be more if I bring something into the house and it gets tagged as being part of the living room or it gets put in and is assumed to be part of the security system. But if I move to the 
production level, so industrial side of things, do you think we could get to a point where I want some sort of outcome and the things themselves can figure out which machines are necessary to produce product X based on the protocol that I need to create. So I I tell them the end product, can it figure out which machines to turn on to make part of that ecosystem? You know, it's interesting. You already see that in real production facilities today at some level. It's just more orchestrated. It's less ad hoc. It's far more orchestrated. I was at one of our members' factories a couple of weeks ago, a company called Howden's in the UK. They make kitchen cabinets, amazing company. They put in the production orders and their computer system decides which production lines those orders are going to go through to maximize the usage of all the materials going down the line so that they can minimize waste, right? They want to be as efficient and environmentally conscious as possible. And so they look as things are going down the line to optimize those production lines. And you could think of those lines as very large robotic lines, you know, with saws and assembly equipment. But that's just a bespoke version of, I think, where you're predicting. And I believe that we're heading in that general direction. And all join can enable that. As you said, the rest of it's just software. It's an open communications protocol, and it allows you to describe, communicate, and do that in a very secure way. And so, yeah, it could fit into that use. I think the next use we'll see, the big factories already have that automation in place. It's the small places and the medium places that would like to get there. And that's where consumerization is going to work its way up into industry. Uh, much like consumerization works its way up into the enterprise. I want to ask you about all joining relationship to universal plug and play or UPNP, which kind of had similar goals for kind of a previous generation of devices. And I know they're thinking about the IOT too. Is that anything that you care about to put it bluntly? Is there any relationship to all join or, or is that sort of like they see a similar problem? They're trying to solve it. And of course, when you have a hammer, everything looks like a nail. You have that going on. And is this kind of clean start that's specifically for the IoT just a better way to go? How do you feel about it? Are you tracking it at all? Or is it just like, well, there's that old committee and they're thinking about the Internet of Things too, but we're trying to solve the problem and we don't really need to know about that. Some of the people who are the creators of AllJoin are also people who are involved in UPnP and home networking and a lot of these other standards. Oh, cool. It's a real small community overall, right? Uh-huh. Of the deep technical people who can really tackle these problems and turn that into architectures and software. And so to your question, you know, are we tracking it? Yeah. Do we understand it? Yes. At a very deep level. Is it the same thing? No. All joint was made for very small things to large things, but it was meant to scale up. And it was also meant to really take effect at a local network level and be highly efficient at creating what I'll call a virtual network on top of whatever physical network happens to be there. And that way, all join was built from the ground up thinking about the problems that are the problems of smart connected products, the IoT. And not from the direction of, I have computers and devices and I want to connect them. Both solve good problems, but they they solve different problems. So when I turned on my Wink Hub or commanded it to turn off lights, and because there was no internet access at the moment, it didn't turn off the lights, you're going to solve that problem by creating ad hoc local networks of things that know how to talk to each other, even without the broader internet. 
I describe <laughs> it's, it's IOT without the, the, the necessarily the I in it at all. It's just the I, OT. Okay. The OT. I often describe the IOT evolution in three real distinct phases. The first was people making things remote control. And we had a lot of these devices maybe four or five years ago. It was really the first big wave of connected things at CES. They were really remote control things with just fancy remote controls. After that wave, we got into a wave that we're still winding down right now. And that's the wave of thing, cloud service, and app. And they take slightly different forms, but I have some connected product. It talks to a cloud service over my internet connection. I talk to that cloud service over my internet connection. And we happily interact until my internet connection disappears. That's kind of this second wave, which are these cloud connected services. And, you know, you probably have a lot of those uh, on your tablet. And, you know, if you want to make them work together, you take yet another cloud service and use that cloud service to integrate the other cloud services together to try to get like your light bulbs and your thermostat to work together. And then install yet another app and then install IFTTT so that you can kind of make sort of an ad hoc connection. Yeah. Out of disparate stacks. Yeah. And that's kind of wave two. And that was a necessary step, by the way, right? We had to go through that. It was inevitable because we had to learn about what we really needed to do, which was, look, if I have a light switch and a light bulb, if I have a stereo, which I do, I have a mosaic speaker. It's a great, you know, digital speaker, IP connected speaker. And I stream Spotify to it. When the songs change on that speaker, that speaker sends an all join notification and says, hey, Philip's now listening to this song by this artist. My LG TV, which is hanging on the wall, I use it as a monitor in my office, puts up a notification because it receives all joint notifications and it displays them on the screen. That's all happening locally. No cloud services involved, no internet connection involved. I need IP so that those things can be connected, but I don't need the internet. In that way, those transactions are really fast and really local. I'm not taking seconds to talk to a cloud service and have that cloud service come back and talk to my product. I talk to the product. I do that in a secure way and I do that in a direct way. And in that way, it becomes both responsive and resilient to the whole connection breaking, APIs changing. and also keeps me from having to be an IT person in my own house, which is something I really don't want to be. Yeah, you do enough of that during the day. Yeah. And how did your TV know that? How did it know that you wanted it to do something based on the events that heard other devices broadcasting? Their notifications, though, in all join, those are machine to human messages. And by default, an LG WebOS TV plays all join notifications that it receives on its local network on the screen. You can turn them off, but by default, if it sees a notification, it plays it. But it's context sensitive to know that if you're in the middle of a movie, probably not to do that. It doesn't know if you're in the middle of a movie, right? Because it's just a monitor. And so the way I have my TV set up, it just plays them. And I don't have a lot of things, you know, odds are pretty good. I'm not listening to Spotify while watching a movie. (laughs) And then that gets us to the third level that you were saying in the evolution, which is probably where it does start involving the internet and remote connection and is my guess. That's part of this third. So once things can talk to each other, I think the first part of the, the question is, you know, how do you control that? Well, you start to get smarter bits of software that, can orchestrate the conversations between devices for you. You want something that helps you build rules that allow you to do more complex things. And that's where the app ecosystem comes into connected products and does the same thing for our physical worlds that it did for our mobile worlds, right? We get all kinds of awesome innovation with people solving all kinds of problems that we knew we had or didn't have. 
And then, you know, to your question of remote access and all join, we see that as an easy problem. We have something called the gateway agent. It's a bit of software. It allows you to connect your local network to some other network that might be a cloud service for remote access. That might be another house. If you have two homes and you want to connect them up, it might be a different protocol locally that you have that you want to bridge in. For instance, Microsoft released some open source software to the Alliance that allows you to connect BACnet industrial building systems into all join networks so that your BACnet products appear like all join products, making it much easier to program to them. Okay, this brings us back to things like HomeKit and uh, also Google's ecosystem. In theory, I should be able to build a router from those protocols to and from all join. Is that what you're saying? Absolutely. And so the ecosystems that there are connectors for already are BACnet Industrial. Z-Wave and Zigbee have been released that make Z-Wave and Zigbee products look like all join products. Oh, love it. Our great member company, Insteon, just added all join capabilities into the Insteon gateway so that any Insteon product now appears as if it's an all join product. So your all-join apps and your all-join products work with your Insteon products. We have members working on a Bluetooth bridge, which is really interesting to take all of those interesting Bluetooth things you have and make them look like they're all-join things. Wonderful. So I could potentially have one box in my home that would uh, talk to my Bluetooth door lock? Yeah, absolutely. The scenario I'm using their prototype right now with is a Bluetooth air purifier, and I talk to that with an all-join app called Higgins from a company called Tubals. And the Higgins app is kind of an if this, then that. It's a story creation app. And it lets me create all kinds of interesting stories. And so I have the air purifier looking at the pollen level outside, et cetera. And when it hits certain trigger levels, the air purifier comes on. It's just a Bluetooth air purifier, nothing super special, but with a little bit of all join gateway magic. It's now an all join device and I can connect it up with all the other things in my house. Philip, you must have like the best toys right now. <laughs> I have a lot of very fun toys. <laughs> Who makes the air purifier you're talking about? I have a Honeywell air purifier. It's a Bluetooth enabled air purifier. It's a great product. From the consumer perspective, the mass that doesn't understand code or doesn't know how to do this, some of the products that are already out there are pretty uh, user-friendly and consumer-friendly, but there's always the challenge of making people feel like they're secure and making sure that if they need updates, that it's not like trying to update a router, which is confusing to some people. How do you see it becoming or in the process of becoming consumer-friendly? Yeah, does AllJoin have a connection to those kinds of challenges, whether it's even just recommendations or... Just kind of easing people into this new world. Yeah, and so I'm going to start at the beginning of that. If you're a consumer, there are great products out there. I have a bunch of them. None of them work together easily. You go to your favorite shop and you buy one of these and one of those, and they work great on their own and they're beautiful. And they do just what they're supposed to, but they do nothing more. And if you want them to do more, you have to be really technical and you have to invest a lot of time. And then you've got a fragile bit of technology that you've created. What we really want is to buy some stuff and have the world full of 19-year-old app developers all trying to create apps to make that stuff really interesting and fun. Yep. Mm-hmm. That's what all joining brings. But the second part of your question is really tied, I think, to the experience. And completely agree, the experience has to be great. I can't brick things. I can't 
have to know how to do all kinds of secret incantations, push this button for three <laughs> seconds while standing on your head to, uh, to, to install firmware. And this is where once you have the, the basics, once you have, in, in our case, all join and you start to add in service frameworks, you can see in the open source projects you know, on our wiki that describes all the projects, you can see those projects that are adding those additional capabilities starting to get built up by the members. So how do you do firmware update in a standardized way so that it's easy and users don't even have to necessarily think about it or know about it? Yeah. How do you get things onto a network very easily without having to remember the 28-digit key that Verizon printed on the bottom of your router? Yeah, exactly. With the Internet of Things, we've kind of defined it as anything that connects, computes, and communicates. And we're at an interesting point in history where user adoption could make or break this thing in different flows, right? So if we make it user-friendly, if we make it something that people can easily adopt into their lives and see the benefit then I think from a consumer level, it'll be adopted much faster. Industrial is something else. They already see the value, but from a consumer level. But if we jump the ship too early and throw things out there that don't quite do those three things very well, then you have a challenge. I completely agree. And, you know, I'm always amazed when I meet these companies. I'm going to come back to this company, Howden's, because you know, I, I, I just love them. They make kitchen cabinets. They sell kitchens. <laughs> and, you know, they turn sawdust, they take trees and turn them into boxes that we buy and put in our kitchens. But they intimately understand kind of the heart of the house. They un- intimately understand what people do in their homes all day because that's where they sell into and that's the market they work with. And so they're a member of the Alliance and they're a member of the Alliance because they don't necessarily care about the technology. It's a necessary piece. They care about the solutions. They care about the stories that it's going to create, the problems that it's going to solve. They want to help use that technology to give people better lives, to make that kitchen more functional and more useful. And that comes to exactly the point you're raising, I I think, which is, you know, person who goes in to buy a kitchen or goes in to buy an appliance, the early adopter is going to say, oh my gosh, I can monitor that appliance remotely. That's awesome. I'm going to buy that. If you have kids, what you really care about is, did somebody leave the refrigerator open or the freezer open? (laughs) Right? That's what you care about. And what you'd actually like is the refrigerator and the speaker and the TV and the lights to all work together in some magic way that you didn't really have to think about very much other than to maybe say, yeah, I want you to do that. To let people know that the fridge was left open for more than 10, 20, 30, 40, 60 seconds in a way that gets them to close the fridge. Yeah. I expect that you're bringing up the fridge example in Howden's because these are companies that get it, that understand feature versus benefit, but that you must also work with companies that don't get it, that you probably don't want to mention, that you're hopefully trying to help through that. Don't get obsessed about the plumbing. It's what it does that counts. You know, I do think that actually some companies need to be obsessed with the plumbing and they need to make amazingly great technical products. Like you. Yeah, but I mean, I, I think there are product companies that do. Like, you can make a great technical product and if you imbue that product with openness, I'll use openness as a way to say if you put all join in it, but if you <laughs> imbue that product with openness so that the people who buy that product can use it in the way that they want, not the way that you engineer thought it should be used, then it's okay if you're focused on the technology because the users will apply your product in the way that they want to apply it. Yeah, exactly. I think that's really powerful because 
I mean, you see it from the kid's perspective was your example, but I was seeing it from an elderly perspective. It's very empowering. You know, someone could live on their own in a smart, empowered home where they could be monitored remotely rather than having to be, you know, sent to a facility where they need to be monitored more carefully. And it's probably not something that was considered when you first, you know, put these pieces together in the plumbing, right? Yeah. And so I might not consider that when I'm making a stove, but if a stove can tell me that it's hot, And the smart backsplash behind my countertop can change colors from the nice, happy, light blue that it does to light up my kitchen to a dangerous red or a warning yellow to let me know that the stove is hot. Now I've got a visual clue that the stove is hot. And if I'm a little unstable, if I'm older and I'm a bit forgetful, I at least have another clue to tell me, hey, the stove is hot. Be careful. If the stove notices that somebody's left it on for far longer than it should be and it just shuts itself off, that's another useful thing. If somebody can log in and check and see that the stove's been on for a long time and that I'm really sitting in the living room, that's another useful thing. Those are things that might not be part of what a company who made a stove or a backsplash is thinking about, but they're the things that the people who are building apps and solutions on top of those products are going to think about. And so, yeah, I do meet companies that I think are still focused, not necessarily in where we're heading. You know, they're not following the Wayne Gretzky rule of skate to where uh-huh. they're going to be. <laughs> yeah. But overall, I think there's a lot of flexibility here because what we're giving people when we give them open connected products is the ability to create. There's a great word, bricolage. And it means, you know, it's kind of maker, it's creator. It's somebody who creates from the pieces. And that's what we want. We want people to be bricolores. We want people to create their solutions with the products that they buy. Definitely. Hey, Philip, is all join cooked? There's a point at which uh, technology sort of gets a critical mass of supporting products, of maturity, of both the infrastructure and of, of apps that work with it. Is all joined there now? And if so, what are a couple ideas for people to get started with it? I'm a tech enthusiast. I've heard of this all join thing. I see there's tons of people involved. There's some cool products. What are the interesting products and, and apps that I should look at if I'm kind of interested in that? Gee, that's a really good question. There's technologies that I know I've worked with that, you know, I'd tell friends and family, look, you know, next year is going to be a great year for this. <laughs> you know, that's when everything comes together. And, and, you know, you can look at Apple and you can say, look, HomeKit's not ready. You know, don't buy into the HomeKit ecosystem. It's not quite there yet. It's a great question because technologically it's there. I bought a Mosaic speaker. It's a Kickstarter. It's a great, awesome connected speaker. I have an LG TV. They just magically talk to each other. Right? I didn't have to do anything. And you know, I can buy a gramophone audio player, Panasonic speakers, monster speakers, and they all work in that same way. The challenge for us right now is that there's not thousands of different products in the market. There's hundreds of products. So choice is limited. The wave of products is working its way through the system. It just takes time to make them. We're a year and a half old. There's development life cycles that have to go along with applying that technology. I feel like the rush is upon us. We're right in the middle of it. Or right before it. You can feel it and it's there and you're being swept along. It isn't completely obvious. You don't go and find a whole section at Best Buy. But if you go to Best Buy, you can buy an all-joint enabled LG TV and you can buy all-joint enabled LifeX light bulbs and you know some other products there. Right. 
And so the answer to your question is from a technology perspective, it's there, it's real. It's the stuff that's in Windows. The stuff you download from the website today is the same stuff that's in Windows 10. It's the same stuff that's in an LG TV. You know, it's the same stuff that's in the Mosaic speaker. Like it's the same software. So the software is in real production things, not one-offs that are run, you know, in a 5,000 device Kickstarter run. Right. People are buying them. People are supporting them. Companies are are answering tech questions on them and making them work. And the app ecosystem is starting to kick up in a really interesting way. You know, Higgins, I think, is really the first app in our space to land as a commercial app. And you'll see that underlying lots of other people's products. It's meant more as an OEM platform than an app on its own. But that's an app where I can start to create really interesting stories with the things I have. And so the app ecosystem is just starting to come into its own. Uh, I've talked to other developers who are introducing apps. And we've got a couple of really big you know, timeline events coming up. We get the launch of Windows 10, which is going to be huge. Congratulations on that, by the way. Thanks. That's an awesome thing. We're part of the default protocol stack in Windows. That makes it easy to build applications. It feels like Microsoft has bet the farm on all join. Microsoft has invested very heavily and they're contributing very heavily to the Alliance, right? This is an open source project. They're not only betting on it, they're investing in it. When you download the open source software, some of that was created by Qualcomm and some of that was created by Microsoft. Some of that's created by Technicolor and lots of little companies too, like Affinity. They're all in there. But the Windows launch, IFA this year in Berlin, IFA Berlin, which is the big appliance show, is a venue where I feel like we're going to see a lot of innovation in the white goods space. Really very, very cool innovation in the white goods space. And then when we get to CES this year, we're going to see the continued onslaught of devices in the consumer electronics space. So what I'm hearing is that at least for our audience, which is either tech enthusiasts or people working in the industry, it's ready. It's here. Come download the app stuff. The, on the app side, we've got a couple of awesome contributions that make it really fun from a software app building perspective. The Apache Cordoba libraries that Microsoft open sourced make it super easy to build a tri-platform app. So you use the plugins, the framework, the Cordoba framework, and you get iOS, Android, and Windows in one shot. I hadn't heard that. So, so people can build HTML5 apps and deploy those through the app stores. Yeah, in one shot, which is really awesome. And then you've got the native stuff in Windows if you're, I'm a Visual Studio guy. And so if you're a Windows developer, file new project, all join, boom. Bob's your uncle and you're writing code without having to worry about protocols. Nice. And then on the device side, you know, there's devices or prototyping devices shipping. So if you want to play with it and really get a feel for it, build a prototype, show it up the chain in a company you work in. It's easy. You can go buy a Linneo with AllJoin already on it. There's even an AllJoin JS, which is now my favorite hacking platform. It's AllJoin for embedded things that lets you use JavaScript instead of C to create firmware. That's great. So that's kind of firmware for the masses. It really feels like we're breaking down barriers <laughs> to, to let things evolve. I tell you what, I... I was in Korea three weeks ago at a meeting with members, and I went to the a meeting. One of our working group meetings was there, the Home Appliance and Entertainment Working Group. And around the table were competitors who would never talk to each other. 
they probably aren't even allowed to talk to each other at trade shows. You know, <laughs> every white goods manufacturer you can imagine was there. And yet they were all having dinner or lunch rather and discussing what the essence of temperature in a refrigerator was, what the essence of an air conditioner was, right? Wow. And, and so these companies that fiercely compete were saying to me and to each other, hey, this is so important that we get this right, that we know we all compete with our products, but we can't compete with our connectivity, with our connectedness, yeah, because that's not where we have to be. They've all bought in. All the members have bought in. That's fantastic. I think that's all part of getting the right user experience so that we can get to where we need to be with this. Yeah. And that's where I think some of the brilliance in the original architecture of all joined to effectively give the things in our life, right? And I emphasize the things part, right? Give the things in our life APIs is probably the coolest piece of what's here. Because once those things have APIs, the world full of app developers who all know how to build great apps will start writing apps and the user experiences will get better and better because those apps will get better and better because they'll be solving real problems for us. We'll buy a security system app. We'll buy an app that takes care of you know our older parents in their house or at least helps them live a little bit longer in their house. We'll buy an app that just reminds us to do things like close the garage door or leave the refrigerator closed. They'll all be part of an app ecosystem that looks just like the great one that we have on our mobile devices today. Amen, brother. I think that's a perfect way to wrap it up. Philip, it has been a pleasure to talk to you about AllJoin. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you both. I really appreciate it. It's been a lot of fun. Thank you for joining us. You've been listening to Far Stuff, the Internet of Things podcast. You can find us on the internet at farstuff.com and at farstuff on Twitter. Get in touch with us using the contact form on our site or email us at podcast at farstuff.com. If you enjoyed our podcast, please leave a review on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to podcasts because it helps other people find us. To get the best Internet of Things news every week, sign up for our email newsletter at farstuff.com. And this brings us to the end of our thing. Thanks for listening. Thanks, everyone. Peace out, Cub Scout. I'm totally keeping that in there. Awesome. I am good. Goodbye.